So we're really looking to take the pain from engineers who have to do many other things other than making sure that their code is secure and how do we make that easier for them in a way that there is the minimum amount of friction possible. Hi, you're listening to The Secure Developer. It's part of the MyDevSecOps community, a platform for developers, operators, and security people to share their views and practices on DevSecOps, Dev and Sec collaboration, cloud security, and more. Check out mydevsecops.io to join the community and find other great resources. This podcast is sponsored by Sneak. Sneak is a dev-first security company, helping companies fix vulnerabilities in open source components and containers without slowing down development. To learn more, visit sneak.io. On today's episode, Guy Pajani, president and co-founder of Sneak, talks to Nitsan Bluen. Nitsan's background combines engineering and product management. She has built six QA test departments from scratch while bulletproofing big data, web, and mobile products. Nowadays, she is leading Spotify's product security team. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to The Secure Developer. Thanks for tuning back in. Today, we're going to dig into changing culture here with a guest that has managed to, to do that a couple of times before in a variety of contexts. We have Nitsan Bluen, who is the engineering manager for product security at Spotify. Nitsan, thanks for coming on to the show. Sure. Thank you for having me. So Nitsan, tell us a little bit before we, we dig into culture changes and other topics. Tell us a little bit about what is it you do and your journey into security here. Okay. So my official title is an engineering manager and I lead the product security team at Spotify. And my journey is a little bit different and not very linear, which perhaps might be interesting. So the majority of my career has actually been in test or QA. I prefer the word test because it alludes to something that engineers can do versus something that someone who is not an engineer, aka what used to be a QA, do. So I've built five different QA departments from scratch in different organizations and different domains from e-commerce to advertising to a couple of gaming startups. And after the last gig where I started a QA or a test department in a mid-level organization, I had kind of a reckoning and I started to think about what's next and I was a little bored, to be honest, with the test world. It's something that I've done five or six times, and I had a working model that was pretty easy to implement, and I was looking for a challenge. And Yeah, exactly. I was talking to a former colleague, and he was trying to tease that out of me, and I heard myself say, yeah, I think security would be interesting. And he was like, well, you need to talk to to Dave Hannigan, who is the head of security at Spotify. And that's how I ended up here and in security. So now I am almost two years into the journey into product security at Spotify. Got it. I guess so far so good. You're not regretting the decision? (laughs) Absolutely not. I mean, I think this may be a, a comfort for folks in security. So coming from the test world, actually security feels much easier. In tests, you really have to come up with all kinds of tricks and dances to get people to do what you ask them to do. And in security, it's always great when you you talk to a team and you say like, hey, there is vulnerability, there's something you need to fix. And they're like, well, do I need to do this today or is it okay to wait for the next sprint? And as someone in test, you're like, oh my God, this is easy. (laughs) Yeah, always good to remember that there are actually areas that are even harder for them to mobilize engineering to do as, as they need to do. 
it's interesting to think a little bit about this journey from test to security because you would almost expect more people to go through that journey given that you know all of them are at the end of the day some aspect of quality of your product do you see like did you seek out or encounter it because you came from test into security do you find yourself naturally uncovering you know the others rogue people in the industry that might have come through that journey like do you feel that analogy holds true or is it just in in concept Yes, I absolutely agree that for me, this is part of shipping quality code, right? You want a code that lasts longer and that is more usable and that is more safe and secure. And the more work you can do upfront before you're in production, the less chances you have of having incidents, of having bugs. And and those are, are very similar. And before I went into, into security, I've talked with a couple of heads of security or I happen to know just on a personal level to see if I was really crazy doing this. I mean, I could have had a very smooth and easy journey just continuing in the same domain. And they were all very encouraging and citing exactly that, that the fact that I do have background in test is going to set me up for success and accelerated learning. And although I have not seen many others who have had the same journey, I do pick people from my team who have had similar journeys. And I find that it's, there is something about the mindset of being attentive to shipping quality code and someone who thinks that that's important also from an infrastructure perspective and how do you scale that and you don't make that process manual and tedious. And I have two people on my team right now that actually have background in quality anecdotally at different parts of their career in addition to security. And, and the two, yeah, indeed seem to go hand in hand pretty well. That's good to hear. Hopefully we learn from one another. So we'll inspect maybe that analogy a little bit later on. Just to kind of close off that journey, tell us a little bit about your current role. So you've got this engineering manager, product security. What does that mean within Spotify? Yeah, so Spotify is a fairly flat organization. We don't have a ton of fancy titles. Our security team, which is called the tribe in Spotify jargon, has different squads. And squad is the smallest operational unit. And my team really looks at product security and more so on the automation. So how do we bake security into our CI CD pipelines? And how do we make security easy for our engineers? So we're really looking to take the pain from engineers who have to do many other things other than making sure that their code is secure and how do we make that easier for them in a way that there is the minimum amount of friction possible. Got it. So let's talk about some of these practices, but beforehand, maybe the journey towards them. So I know that when you and and even Dave, for that matter, joined Spotify, there was this notion of looking to level up or sort of, you know, invest more in security, get better there. And that you might not have have had, you know, when you arrived, the exact setup, right? Or people weren't, obviously, you came on to change something, you know, that wasn't uh, wasn't there before. And you you have this model that I found very interesting or this perspective on changing culture and how do you do it? Can you walk us through it a little bit? Like you arrive at Spotify, what's the model and, and what were the steps that you did to to start tackling this challenge? Yes, I arrived at Spotify and my manager, who's Dave Hannigan, who took a chance on bringing me on and saying like, hey, there's a thing called product security and we, it's a green field and you need to start up-leveling that. 
Spotify is very strong in other areas of security, but this one happens to be one where there was a lot of work to be done. And as someone who is new to the domain, I had to figure out how to start taking actions that would also be meaningful. And as you mentioned, I have this mental model that I've used, that I developed over time when coming to engineering organizations and needing to change culture. And I see a lot of the test work as essentially that. You change the engineering culture, you get engineers to take a step that they're not used to taking or to use a tool they're not used to using or to follow a process that is not naturally part of their process. So I developed this model and I've tested it so far on startups, which are very small scale, mid-level companies, and then Spotify was an enterprise. So the first ingredient or the first step is coming with a passion and with a vision for what you're going to do. And in terms of tests, that was very straightforward. I've done it a couple of times. In terms of security, less so, right? But I knew that I needed to make a change. And you need to have that grit and that stamina. Otherwise, it's going to be a tough journey. I hear the term changing engineering culture getting tossed around the industry a lot. And I really wanted to demystify it a little bit. It's not magic after all. It's a very concrete process. And so the first ingredient is really coming with a certain vision and with passion for what you're going to do because you're going to need it. It's not a short journey. You don't go from zero to 100 in one step. It's an incremental change. So it's important to have that stamina. And then the second step is really gathering some data. And then this changes depending on the scale of your company. So if you're in a startup, it's a great use of time to just sit down and meet everyone and get their take on what are the biggest problems you should focus on. In a mid-sized company, usually distributed over different time zones and locations and whatnot, a form can give you a lot of qualitative data and you can start looking at that. Usually I would leave like an open comment field. And when you look at that, you can see the people. My rule of thumb was people write a comment that's longer than a tweet means that they're invested. Those people are flagged somehow. And I know that I want to go back and talk to them and hear more than what a form would give me. They have something to say. Exactly. And they're invested. They have a lot to say, actually. And and I want to hear it from them. And then in a company like Spotify, that's an enterprise. And often there's form fatigue and you really don't want to blast 4,000, 5,000, 10,000 people with a form that may or may not be relevant to them. Also because you don't know how, what's the, the quality of the answers that you're getting back. So what we did there at Spotify was we did a focused interview weeks where we invited was between 50 to 60 stakeholders for security from the engineering side of the house, from legal, from finance, from infrastructure, and of course our customers. And those help to start mapping out the landscape and you see patterns very quickly and that helps basically to inform your strategy. So that's the third step. Let's kind of unravel it specifically, maybe in the context of Spotify. So like you go back to that demystify piece or come with a certain passion, you know, towards it. And what was the mission in your mind, you know, for Spotify? What was the the aim, the goal that you were trying to establish? So I wanted to come out with a plan that would solve security as an engineering problem. Coming from the test world, you hear the word best practices quite a bit. And I can tell you for a fact that nobody does anything because it's best practices. 
people do something because they understand the why and they understand the reward and they understand this would save them a bunch of time later. So I wanted to drill down to what was the most important problem and how can we solve it from an engineering standpoint, meaning it's automated, it's scalable, there is a very easy and quick feedback loop if things don't work. So that's how I came to the problem versus coming more from a consultancy standpoint of I know and I will kind of tell you what to do or what is the best practice. Yeah, that sounds very healthy and also taking advantage of coming from a different field or a different domain of expertise, not having maybe that temptation to think that you have all those answers. In that data gathering, you know, you explain how you've gotten a bunch of people together and asked them questions. What type of questions did you ask as you were gathering information about this change? So I think we did four questions that really established baseline and they were very simple I don't remember exactly what the questions were, but what is the biggest problem that you see right now? And what is the biggest problem that you would want us to solve? And again, the people that we chose to come and talk to us as stakeholders had a lot to say. So we needed just to plant one or two seeds and they would start talking and they would be very generous in offering their perspective and their opinion. And that's really what we wanted. We wanted different opinions. Got it. So we're past step one. You know, we've established this awesome mission of come up with a plan to solve security as an engineering problem. I love that quote. You go off, you talk to, to that set of stakeholders, you ask them a bunch of questions. What's the third step? What happens next? So the third step is really we creating the strategy. And once you have the strategy, of course, you hire the team to help you to start to implement the solutions, the prioritized solutions or the first step and maybe start a little bit on the intermediate step. And you start to look at a change of the culture, I would say two years down the road. So you look at, at your end result and you kind of work backwards from that. In being a very agile organization, I also am not super methodical. I don't have the the two-year vision fully fleshed out to the T because I want to see where each step is going to take me. And sometimes there's something that you put in place that takes you way further than what you thought. And sometimes it's the other way around and sometimes it's just according to plan. So in my experience, you want to have a pretty clear 12 months vision. 18 is a little blurry and two years is me without my glasses <laughs> looking down the road it's a little fuzzy yeah yeah so that's what we did at, at spotify and at first it was just building the team and in my case one of the things that i did that i think is worthwhile noting i really hired engineers that was part of the interview process is having coding skills i needed to have people in the team who could work side by side with infrastructure engineers and then also work with our customers who are going to be product engineers or feature teams. And just to clarify, when you say customers, you're not referring to Spotify listeners. You're talking about engineers (laughs) and the team or sort of internal customers? That's a good clarification. I've been in the infrastructure world too long. So when you come from infrastructure, your customers are Spotify engineers. And I always say we have the toughest customers because 
Spotify engineers were blessed with having very senior engineers who are very smart. So they also make up for pretty tough customers and we need to satisfy them. And when you talk about hiring people with engineering skills into this, was that driven by the work or maybe more on the empathy side? Like it's more because they will need to be writing software or is it more about interacting with those customers? So I would say it's a little bit of both. And again, this is a lesson I learned from the test days. If you ask teams to do things that you can't show them how to do, they won't do them. And often in order to get teams going, and this comes back to the engineering transformation or the changing the engineering culture, you need to be able to help them out with a learning curve. And for that, you need hands-on people to do that. And we needed engineers because we're looking at the infrastructure side of the house and we're looking at automation. We needed the security engineers to be able to work with the people who build our different build pipelines. Maybe let's, uh, if you don't mind, sort of share yeah. some specific examples. So what have been some of these learnings? You know, now you have a bit more mileage behind you and not just having theorized, but also executed. Can you share some examples of steps that worked well that people should mimic or maybe even some that didn't that people should avoid? So I think we really got the great pointers from all the people we've talked with. The first thing that we learned was that there was a lot more appetite to hear more clear guidelines from security. And we're kind of careful of giving those and being very opinionated. So it was kind of a vote of confidence, like, hey, you can be more opinionated and we will welcome it. Secondly, more specific in terms of Spotify, there was a need for better automation. And that's how we partnered with SNCC as well. And that was, in my book, a low-hanging fruit right there, where you want to get a tool for engineers. In Spotify, our security organization is a hybrid model of centralized and decentralized. Most of Spotify engineering organization is decentralized. So security is a bit of an outlier, but overall, we do want engineers to be able to act on, for example, security vulnerabilities in their code. There's no some centralized team that goes and, and combs through that and works on resolving those. Got it. How do you engage some of the practices? These are great tool choices, if I may say so, but the investment in security engineering is great. On the human level, how do you interact with the rest of the engineering organizations? Is it messages that get passed on? Are you aligned in some way? How do you tell them when they're doing something correct versus just sort of bashing them over the head? Can you give us some examples of the interaction models. Yeah, we definitely don't bash over the head at Spotify. We have different teams that use different methods. I would say when you come to working with customers. I'm going to go back to that word. Sometimes it's good to get the message from different directions. So we have a team that's working specifically on education initiatives, on providing guidelines and so forth. So I would say the more manual part of product security. And then we have the teams that are more focused on automation. Sometimes you learn from a trial by fire, right? And I think coming from tests, this happens a lot. Nobody takes critical bugs very seriously and until that goes somehow rolled out to the external users and then people get really good about fixing those bugs. It's a similar process. Again, in our case, going back to that little system of mine, 
when we started interviewing people became very clear who are the strong allies that we can bring to the table, whether it's from a leadership perspective, whether it's from an architecture perspective, whether it's just strong engineers who want to come and sit at the table. And that's something really important because those early allies are just going to be amplifiers of your message and of the change that you're trying to make. And they're going to help to spread it and probably speak about it in a different way. And it's very good to hear the same message coming from different directions and especially from a direction you don't expect. People would expect me to talk about security, but if an engineer and their team starts talking about security, then usually there's more attention coming to that. Right. You know, I guess it's a forum. I love that notion of using the forums, not just to gather data, but also to identify your allies. Do you consider that almost like an early version of a security champions program? Do you also think security champions program is something you are doing or or will consider later on? So that's an interesting question because I've talked a lot with other companies in the space about security champions and investments and gains and opinions in general. And I'll be honest, I got very mixed recommendation around security champions. At Spotify, we have a model, it's called TC4X, started with an initiative called TC4D, Test Certified for Data Focus Squads. That was an initiative that I was very involved in. And it was one of those tiny grassroots efforts that became a way of working right now at Spotify. And it leans on Google Test Ladder and you really self-certify yourself, levels one to three. I think three is usually the highest. And now at Spotify, we have this for data, for mobile clients, for backend. And I could see something like that because Spotify believes so much in the sense of ownership that each team has of their code, their product, whatever that product is, whether it's an infrastructure product that's offered to other engineers or it's something that's offered for Spotify users. I would see a model like that working really well for Spotify, but we haven't started digging into that yet. Yeah, that's very interesting. So this is a self-certification type element where teams or individuals, like is it a certification of the application of the software or is it a certification of... So it usually would be a certification of... That's the million dollar question, by the way. When we created TC4D, it was something that we spent a lot of time talking about. Do you certify just the data pipeline? We have some teams that own many, many data pipelines. I wouldn't say we nailed it down to a science. With security, it's a little easier because we're looking at services. So I think that that would be one scenario. And again, this is hypothesis. It's not something that exists for the security world. It does exist for other domains. Is that our service has a way to self-certify, then they get a badge. We have a great system called Backstage, which is now open source. And then that badge is public. And that also kind of signals to someone who's relying on your service to say, hey, we invested in security and that doesn't need to be a concern for you if you consume our data. I love that for uh, for a variety of reasons. I think we definitely have seen in the world of open source how having, for instance, a disclosure policy or a security.md file in open source repositories actually correlates well with lower risk, you know, with people that address this well, when people know where to disclose 
the issue if there is a disclosure file, then they would disclose it responsibly, and they might even think to report a security flaw or security concern they're seeing. Similarly, we've seen actually at Comcast, at a recent episode here, there was some great data demonstrating this type of iterative process, identify 40-odd practices, and helped team they've picked. In their case, they tried to roll out first 11 and three others practices across the organization and see people adhere to them. But it's about that. It's about those bite-sized chunks. I guess it even alludes a little bit into that paved road mindset, you know, from Netflix talking about that infrastructure, maybe more on your team because you're building these services and, and people can choose to use them and they'll get the badge and they'll be good. So there's definitely a lot to like about that path. I hope that when we talk at whenever, you know, <laughs> post you've implemented, we'll hear some stories about it. Shifting gears, this is fascinating. I've got a whole bunch of other questions, but another topic I want to make sure we talk about a little bit is the hiring. So you've had the luxury and the pain here of needing to build up a team and hire for it. The world of security isn't well known for its diversity. And I'm sure you've encountered that as well. How did you approach, like when you've hired, you already gave us an inkling around this need for programming or for engineering expertise. How did you approach this type of hiring for diversity or other attributes that are important as as you form your team? Yeah, that's a great question. So security is at, I think in general, the last time I looked at the data was at 12% diversity for gender, that is. And so that's very low. I think overall, a benchmark is 15 for diversity and more, let's say, progressive air quotes organizations are at 20. Spotify is at 35 now after investing heavily in diversity and belonging strategies. So as a hiring manager, I feel it's, it's, that's one of my responsibilities. And it's actually one of the joys of being a hiring manager is you, you can really help uplift people from underrepresented groups. And, and in this case, for me, the gender piece naturally comes to mind. But of course, it's not the only determination, right? You, you pick the best person for the job in the end of the day. And lucky for me, I happen to build a team that's 75% female. And this is the first time in my career that that has happened. That's quite an accomplishment. Yeah, and and it's wonderful. It's a fun team to be part of. It's a very different dynamic in terms of, of our interaction. But what I really looked for is, I think, and this might be a bold statement, and you have more mileage on me in terms of security, but as a field in terms of people going to study to be a security engineer or someone saying, hey, I want to be a security engineer when I grow up, I don't think that that is very common or not common quite yet. So what I really looked for was people with strong engineering background, primarily backend, because that's the domain, and then with passion for security. And some I have one person in my team that has a master's in security and computer science. I have one person who has taken some courses in college. So there was a kind of a mix in terms of the skill set between People who came from tech background, people who came from security background. I like to mix also the regulated, unregulated, especially when it comes to security, because that brings a very different perspective into how good does your solution need to be. And someone who works in a bank or in a health organization has a different approach than someone who worked in a, another tech company. So I, I believe in building 
mixed teams and diverse teams and you take that onto different axes in terms of experience. And at the same time, I think also all of us who are privileged enough to be in a position of hiring people, we do have to think about underrepresented communities. How can we give people a chance? It does require more heavy lifting on the management side. If you take someone who is more junior, then you would need to give them more attention in the beginning, but that always pays dividends, always. Yeah, and how uh, I fully relate to the importance of this and social responsibility also as a white man here, like I think feel even doubly responsible that my uh, uh, <laughs> group, if you will, has sort of not solved or sort of contributed to the problem before, even more responsible to kind of help be a part of the solution. But also like indeed the challenge is oftentimes you know, successfully doing so. You can be committed to it conceptually. So you give us one example with how we can approach it, which is you can hire maybe people that are more junior and invest in them. Are there other tips or examples of practices that people should embrace to help them you know, do better in terms of hiring diverse candidates? Yeah, I think the other path that has worked well specifically for my team was really looking at the talent pool of backend and assuming that someone... I mean, every hiring manager has this set criteria of of what has to be there. In my case, it was coding skills. And then you take that side by side and you say, okay, maybe I have a very strong backend engineer who is passionate about security but doesn't know much. Can I train them? And that has worked again for us. So we knew we would have a strong engineer who can start executing on engineering tasks right away. And then we also knew that we would be able to level up the security knowledge and best practices, et cetera, with specific trainings. Yeah, I love that. So basically look at hiring pools or the queues for other teams that for one reason or the other, well, maybe they did fit that team and you might steal them away, but no, it could also be that they didn't have the specific knowledge for that team, but they were great candidates otherwise. and then tap into that resource and bring them in, scale them up in the areas that you need to build them up. Does that sound right? Yeah, exactly. And there's no perfect candidates, but I think what you need to make sure there is that spark or that curiosity or that passion to learn about security. If someone doesn't care about security, this doesn't work, right? So you need to have that base level. I think sometimes people get very hung up on finding a perfect candidate that ticks all the boxes. And at least in in my experience, that doesn't exist. And then you think about work here, can you compromise? And if you do prioritize diversity and you often hear like, oh, there's pipeline is not diverse. And there's a lot of ways to make that pipeline more diverse and then to find, again, the best person for the job. And you don't have to limit yourself to diversity on the gender axis. There is race, there's age, and you build those diverse teams. And those are the strongest teams because your customers, guess what, are exactly going to be a mirror of that team. And if you're going to have a bunch of people who are just like you, you're probably not going to be able to solve for the problems that your customers are going to see. Yeah, very well said. So this was excellent. And you've already shared a whole pile of advice, but I still like just to try to squeeze one more. I like to ask every guest coming on the show, if you have one bit of advice to give a team that's looking to level up their security foo, what would that be? Something they should start doing, stop doing to get better when it comes to security? That's a great question. What comes on top of mind to me and this is probably tainted a little bit, but the different security organizations that 
I've talked to or, or experienced is really talk to your customers. Talk to your customers. Don't come with answers, but come with questions and you'll have a much easier time. Yeah, that's so simple and yet not done all too often. So that's a great piece of advice. It's on, thanks again for coming at the show. This has been really great, very insightful, and keep up the, the great work that you're doing at Spotify. Thank you so much, Guy. It was wonderful to be here. And thanks, everybody, for tuning in, and I hope you join us for the next one. Thanks for listening to The Secure Developer. That's all we have time for today. For additional episodes and full transcriptions, visit mydevsecops.io. If you'd like to be a guest on the show or get involved in the community, you can also find us on Twitter at, at MyDevSecOps. Don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes if you enjoyed today's episode. Bye for now.